0: You're listening to the Running Around Charlotte podcast presented by the Novon Health Charlotte Marathon. One day, five events with a race day distance for every goal and pace. Find out more or register at runcharlotte.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Pinnacle Financial Partners and Ally. They may not be able to help you hit your mile splits, but Ally can help you plan for the future. Explore all the ways you can map out your financial goals with Ally at ally.com. Ally. Proud sponsor of the Novon Health Charlotte Marathon and athletes everywhere. Now, here are your hosts for the Running Around Charlotte podcast Tim Rhodes and DC Lucchese.
1: Today on the Running Around Charlotte podcast, we are going to talk with Chris McDougall. You may recognize the name as the author of the Born to Run book, which took the world by storm, the running community by storm, sure. several years ago. Uh, he's got another book out uh, that's that's going to be releasing soon. We wanted to catch up with Chris and see what he was up to and, and hear about the new book. Chris, how are you doing today?
2: I am really happy. I'm having a very happy day. I've been up for seven minutes, but already for a good seven.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. And for those of you who wonder what that means, Chris lives in Hawaii, and we're taping this midday, and he is just getting up and having a cup of coffee, so... Um, It's a good thing you can't see the picture of him because he's in his boxers.
0: (laughs) So am I, so we're even.
1: (laughs) Chris, so you just hang out and write books, huh?
2: Uh, These days, Tony, yeah. Yeah, I bought the magazine circuit, and it's kind of
0: all books all the time. I love it, man. I love it. Well, that, so let's get right to it. For, those the, for the unsearched or for the two people who are not familiar with Born to Run, give us the quickie on that and then tell us how that led to Born to Run To
2: Now I'm focusing on those two people. Like, Who are these two people? I really <laughs> want to meet them now. I'll send you their emails later. <laughs> <laughs> please, Never heard please, of the guy. please do. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a cool thing to do, just to get a phone call out of them or text out? Of them, hey, how you doing? It's Chris. Sorry to interrupt. I heard you haven't read my book. Could you give me a call? Uh, we need to address exactly. this. We need to fix <laughs> this real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, it's, uh, it, 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 it's an interesting question. It, it's a book that often should not, have, uh, should not have happened several times. You know, I was uh, mm-hmm. in Mexico on an assignment for the New York Times magazine about, believe it or not, a Mexican pop singer who was involved in some like secret brainwashing sex cult. And, you know, you would think that that would absorb all of my attention. Yeah. But as I'm down there researching this story, I kept seeing these pictures of people in dresses and sandals, like on the the license plates in Chihuahua. You'll see a picture of like a Tarahumata runner. If you go into like a a restaurant for breakfast, they'll have like a big calendar on the wall, and there'll be a Tarahumata runner. And I'd never heard of them. So I said, well, who are these guys in the dresses? oh, you know, they're they're the Taramata, they're the best runners in the world. And uh, I looked in a magazine in the hotel, and there was uh, an article about the label Trail 100. These guys had won a 100-mile race. I was 56 years old. And I'm like, man, this cannot be true. So I kind of diverted from the article I was writing to research Mm -hmm. who the Taramata were and how they could have these astonishing running capabilities. That was good enough. That was good enough for a magazine story. But then I meet a guy named Micah True, who goes by the name Calayo Blanco, the, the white horse, and he's living down there. And he wants to do a race, and he's trying to get Scott Jorik. And this whole thing just snowballed in a weird way. I, I compared it to a, like a boulder bouncing downhill. Like there's no plan. It's making progress,
0: but there's no plan. But it he, keeps moving <laughs> forward. We'll just see where this boulder lands and what take what it from there?
1: go wrong. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and that, and that led to that race, and I ended up showing up at that race with no intention of writing the book, because every step of the way, I thought, well, you know, I could never run 50 miles, or there's never going to be a race, or no one's going to show up for the race, and then after the race happened, I'm like, holy crap, Like, it all happened. You know, I trained for it, yeah. I ran it, the race was cool, let's see if we can uh, turn this into a book.
0: And you did, and in, and... and- and you and I discussed this when you were in Charlotte a month or so ago, you know, I was on that whole, you know, weird, minimalist, barefoot thingy before, you know, it became something normal and you, like, like Dean's book, you introduced that quote unquote to the masses and people were like, dang, maybe there's something to that. Did you expect that kind of response to it? No, absolutely did not.
2: What I was hoping for was something similar to Dean's book. I think Dean's book was groundbreaking because, Ultra Marathon Man, yeah. because it is, I believe, the first running book that made running seem kind of fun. Like, Dean's, you know, he's suffering a lot in that book, but he's also having a good time. I mean, I think the genius of his approach to writing that book was it started off with him, and the most famous image of all. is him in the middle of a run, on his cell phone, ordering a pizza. Yeah. Telling the guy, yeah. I'll meet, meet me in the corner of like Fremont and 14th street, in <laughs> yeah. about 20 minutes. And then the guy meets him across and they take the pizza and he rolls it up into a tube and then like a burrito. And then he, he's eating while he runs. And uh, that was so cool and Absolutely. weird. It made it made running seem like an adventure. And that's what I was hoping for in the run. I did not expect it to turn into a, uh, a barefoot running Bible.
0: But it, but it did, and it has precipitated uh, a, a, you know, well, for lack a, a continued movement, right? And it, it's not even fringe anymore. And it is also born a second book. Well, I think what happened with the minimalism is,
2: you know, at the, at the time, like you said, back in two thousand four, two thousand and five, when I was researching this and running and uh, running the race. Barefoot running was like unheard of, except for a little niche, you know, of of kind Mm -hmm. of diehards. But the thing about it was I think a lot of people were very close to making that connection for themselves. You know, we'd had about 20 years of running shoe innovation and none of it working, and the shoes Mm -hmm. every six months getting weirder and bigger and cushionier, and you kept hearing this thing like, Mm -hmm. this is it, like this is the greatest innovation in running shoes. And then six months later, the greatest innovation is gone. Like, it's never heard of again. I think a lot of people were figuring out, wait a minute, something's not right about this. And so that was my good fortune was the wave was building. And I happen to be paddling out on my board <laughs> at the moment, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah. but you're right about one thing, though, was that in that book, there was one thing I was absolutely not going to do. And my editor actually pushed me to time. He's like, you should lay out a training plan. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just did my first race, you know, I am not a runner by any stretch. I felt like I'm the guy in the back of the plane where he said, the pilot had a heart attack. Can anybody land the plane? Like, <laughs> all right, like I can land the plane. I don't know how to fly.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: But that's I'll, I'll get this thing on the ground. Yeah, and that's why I decided now, 15 years later, like, oh, you know what? It's time to actually release a Born to Run to All the information about training that I've learned over the years and especially Everything that Eric Wharton, my coach, back for the Born to Run race, right? everything he taught me, like, dude, it's had fifteen years of product testing on me, and it works.
0: Well, let's let's you know, let's share it with the people. So tell us, and, and like I said, you and I have discussed this a little bit, but but tell the group here what folks can expect from Born to Run Two, and would they have to have read the first book? The answer, of course, is yes. But would they, have, would they have to have read the first book in order to get the second?
2: Uh, no, but here, I want to share the, the cover with you guys. Look at this cover. I, I know love it's it, it's all man.
0: backwards. Yeah. I love it, too. Yeah. You know what?
2: I, and I don't think it is just pride of ownership or something. I Look at this cover. I'm so happy with it. So pretty. Um, so just starting with the cover alone, what we wanted to do with this book was, number one, Yeah, most of the time when you would pick up a copy of, of Runner's World, you'd see some girl with a blonde ponytail on the cover. You know, either a shredded dude or someone with a blonde ponytail. You kept seeing the same image of running over and over. And yet, when you show up for your run club or at a race, the face of running is very different than that. People look very different, all kinds of body types and complexions and outfits. And so on the cover, we got all these runners together who looked different, but to me, they looked like the people I run with and I see. So we wanted to really represent mm-hmm. how universal the fun aspect of the sport is. Uh, secondly, yeah, I know you don't have to have read uh, the original born to run because what I wanted to do in this book was combine good fun adventure stories with practical how to information in a very systematic way. And so we built it around a system we call the free seven and the free seven are these seven sort of energy-adding aspects of running. I'll give you an example. So, you know, we we talk a lot about footwear. So, there's a way of using your footwear to add energy back into the system. If you have a heavy cushioned shoe, you're draining energy from the system because, you know, when you run, you land on that cushion, and your energy gets absorbed by the cushion. Just like if you're running, you know, if you're on a, a soft cushiony bed, the bed absorbs the energy. If you're on a firm surface, imagine if you're doing push-ups. You don't want to be on soft surface. You want to be at the hard, firm floor. So when we talk about footwear, we say there is footwear. There is footwear that can actually add energy back into your running and so your, your running feels easier and better. And that's why – that's actually the reason why we were down in Charlotte visiting Nathan Lehman at the Ultra Running Company because nobody on the planet speaks more eloquently and um, – And with more information than Nathan does about those kind of footwear questions.
0: Well, you guys did a great job. And and, uh, you and Eric talking about and kind of as a visual learner, uh, you know, going through some of the motions of some of the things you can do with self, right, to guide one's own body into better form and more comfortable, injury-free you know, easy running, right? I mean, that's that's the goal of the whole thing, right?
2: Yeah, you know, I have to say, too, wasn't that so fun? You know, when Eric and I, so Eric and I traveled around uh, almost a month, um, traveling around the country doing events, and what always surprises me in a really delightful way is we'll come into a place like the Ultra Running Company, and a group of people will show up after work, and some people are dressed to run, some aren't, and we'll suggest, hey, how about we all take our shoes off and we'll walk into this very busy parking lot of, you know, of, of commercial, you know, downtown Stribble and, and do some running exercise. And people are like, oh, okay. I'm like, really? <laughs> you're, you're agreeing to this? And we'll get like 50 people outside doing pogo drills in the parking lot. And it always, I'm so grateful. Like, and, like, people are cooler than you think, you know, that yeah. they're, they're down for this. But, you know, you talked about form. So one of the things we spent a lot of time, like years working on, where it's often very difficult to translate movement into language. You know, if I tell you guys, hey, scratch your head, well, does that mean right hand or left hand? Does that mean scratch or just kind of brush it? You know, Taking an instruction and having someone follow it verbally is difficult. So we spent a lot of time coming up with exercises that were foolproof. And one perfect example is if you try to teach perfect running form in a book, I believe you're doomed for failure. You know, there's no way you can write out the list and have anybody follow it in a way that's gonna be effective. So we came up with a drill like the rock lobster. And the rock lobster, I believe, is a foolproof five minute way to teach perfect running form. What we tell people is take it off your shoes, stand with your back to a wall, and put rock lobster on you know, play rock lobster buy the B fifty twos. Then just run in place to the song Rock Lobster. It is foolproof. Because, you know, if you run in place barefoot, you're not going to land on your heel. You, you just can't. Yeah. You will land on your forefoot. If you have your back to the wall, you can't overstride because you'll kick back to hit the wall. And if you're running to rock lobster, that's 180 beats per minute, 90 per leg. You just run in rhythm to that. You've got foot strike. You've got cadence. You've got form. And then the worst thing is, is that song is not in your brain for life. You can never unhear it after that.
0: Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that, that I love this, the the synergy here between uh, what you we're talking about here with For Anybody and the cover of the book, you know, showcasing, you know, what different people look like who come to the show. Tim and I were talking about this before we even pushed record this morning that, you know, the makeup of all the people that come to the races. Right. It's like it's not what you used to see on the the front covers of the magazines, right? It's, it's, it's everybody, right, man?
1: Yeah. I mean, you you know, it's funny how the demographics have changed and, you know, it used to be a fairly male dominated sport back when I started running. I mean, we had boys cross country, but you know, if you had a girl's team, you might have two girls on the team. When I was in high school, that's literally what it was. But now, you know, if you look at the makeup of a, of a 5k, it's typically skewed slightly female. And, um, you know, I think there are a lot of people and, and there and a lot of what's driven is people who want to get in shape and have some sort of healthy exercise. And what motivates that is sometimes people being a little bit out of shape, maybe 10 pounds, 20 pounds overweight or whatever. So they're not these super good looking models that can get airbrushed with six-pack abs and everything else you know the old runner's <laughs> world thing it's very far from yeah. that i mean those, those guys aren't into running anymore those guys are doing um crossfit and some of these other other competitions yeah. so yeah i think the you know the picture of what a runner looks like is has changed quite a bit over the year and and i i think it's aged a little bit too right you know i think the people that were that were running 20 years ago a lot of them are still running whereas it used to be people kind of fell off. And so, you know, getting, getting new runners in is, is, uh, is important for us.
2: Yeah. And I think people, they were all, always there, but it was just kind of the color blindness and the sort of beauty fixation of media was just kind of, you know, ignoring people who were there all along, but we just chose not to put them on our magazine covers. And I think that was an, that was a, that was an oversight and it's fun. It's really kind of fun now. You know, to sort of think about all the people who are out there and meet them and you know, hear their stories
0: as well. Oh, yeah, man, totally. And and, and as it relates to stories, uh, I've got, we, we said this before we started our show today. Uh, I had never even heard of your book, Running with Sherman. <laughs> and, and when we were talking in Charlotte, you were like, yeah, man, this is the stuff. This is like, yeah, born to run, born to run too. Yeah, those are great. But this is the stuff. I'm like, all right, brother, I'll bite. So, for those of you who don't know, I'm not going to spoil this story, but uh, you know, you know what, Chris, tell us, tell us briefly without giving away the story. Tell us briefly about running with Sherman, how you came about that, and how you ended up with a dadgum donkey in the first place.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we're talking about this because it was the weird, the weirdest event of my life, and particularly. Terms of writing because I never saw any of this coming. You know, usually, you know, I was born to run. I heard about the Thadomata. I went in search of them. Uh, I decided to do a magazine start. You yeah, know, there was a progression there. Yeah. This thing just kind of you know popped up in front of me, and I found myself in the middle of something, and I didn't know what to make of it. And it was such a deeply personal thing, it was literally happening in my backyard. And so for me, I think this is the best thing I've ever written, and the most um, kind of profound thinking. And I don't mean profound in a kind of the academic way, but I had to learn a lot about myself and the people around me. And for me, me it is like the best thing I've ever done. So running with Sherman came about because where we lived, uh, it was a place called Peach Bottom, Pennsylvania. Rural, deeply rural, southern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Almost all of our neighbors were Amish and Mennonite. And we were there for 20 years. And there was this great hiking trail. And one day my wife and daughters and some friends were we're coming up the trail and we hear this kind of clatter behind us of rocks and we get off the trail. I thought it was like a mountain biker or something. And it's a woman riding a donkey with a saddle, like coming up the trail. And this is something you never see in Pennsylvania. So we're like, wow, that's cool. (laughs) And this woman, you know, hops off her donkey and she's like super dynamic and friendly. And the kids are petting the donkey and we're all like enchanted by this Cool little adventure. And then she hops on her donkey, and she rides off, and it's forgotten by everyone except for my nine-year-old daughter. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, but this is like living in her brain. It's like fantasy, like, wow. You know, I could do this someday. Because for mm-hmm. a kid, a donkey is like a kid-sized horse. And, it's, you know, so, it's, yeah. it's yep. shrunken down. So uh, a few months later, her 10th birthday is approaching. And I go, like, hey, Soph, what do you want for your birthday? And she goes, we're not a to a donkey. Like, oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's what's Plan B? Girlfriend says you know, a donkey. A donkey in at the cart. No, no, no I really want a donkey. That'd be fun. I could ride it to the school. And as she's talking, half of my brain's like, "You're nuts." My, the other half of my brain is like, "Yeah, I can see this." You know, because <laughs>
0: well, it is Lancaster, PA, isn't so. it? Why not?
2: <laughs> right. Her, her school. Her school was two miles from our back door, and there was nothing. There was no like stop signs or. Uh, traffic lights yeah. between our house and her school. She could literally ride through fields and arrive at her school. I'm like, you know what? She can kind of do that. She could ride the donkey to school, tie it up. I would run up there, pick it up, bring it home. And it was all running through my brain. Uh, but I start to ask around our neighbors, like, hey, anybody knows somebody who's got a donkey for sale? And one of our neighbors said, well, not for sale, but we have someone in our church. This is a Mennonite community. We have someone in our church who's got a problem and he's got a donkey and we got to get this thing away from him. Uh, this guy was a hoarder and he had a donkey locked in a stall and it had been there for years. And they were desperate to remove this donkey from the stall. And so uh, I thought, oh, here we go. Not only is it a donkey, but it's free. So, uh, <laughs> but we picked him up and then discovered that uh, our free donkey, you get what you pay for. This oh, yeah. is a very, very sick, very ailing animal, possibly on the verge of death, uh, potentially being the worst birthday present for a 10-year-old in history, uh, a dead, dead, uh, dead donkey. Dead um, but, you know, so here's, here's where here's where the story kind of, you know, basically takes on its momentum. Uh, that same woman who was riding a donkey in the woods, I was able to track her down. because I didn't know anybody who knew anything about donkeys. And I said, hey, can you help us with this animal? And she kind of zoomed to the rescue to try to do a nursing program and keep it alive. And then she got very, like, fiery with me in my face, and she said, listen, if this donkey survives, you can't just like stick a ribbon on his tail, put him out in the yard like, like you This donkey needs a job, like, it yep. needs something to do. It's got to be, it's got to move. You got to find him a job. Like, I'm, I'm not like a prospector. What the hell am I going to do with a donkey? I don't a job, <laughs> but I, I, knew about, I, I knew about burrow racing in Colorado, you know, where mm-hmm. people run alongside their donkeys. That's when the wheels started to turn. I thought, all right, you know what. Maybe I'll just make this donkey my running partner and then take it to Colorado and, and compete in an ultra marathon in, in Colorado. And that, that that, that, that oh, stupid man. idea became the, 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 the basis for running with Sherman.
0: And, and, and it is for those who are waiting for the, the arrival of born to run two, I highly recommend that you pick this book up. It is fantastic. And Chris, as I said, Right when I got the thing, a parallel thing was happening in our lives where we ended up with the puppy and a German shepherd puppy that has, you know, the same kind. of. It's like, good Lord. And the piece that I was reading at the time was early in the book when you talk about, you know, the the lost connection between people and animals and what not the so much that we are teaching the animals, but what the animals can teach us. And I'm like, I am literally not as large and as stinky but i'm literally living the same thing with this dadgum dog and i've got to be open to what this clown is trying to teach me and how i can guide him as well and it's (laughs) it's like oh man the just the delightful uh coincidence of that made the book even more uh entertaining and uh eye-opening for me you know
2: what's about that is that so I spent you know two years or so in this project with Sherman, yeah. and uh, I had an opportunity to go to California and spend some time with Caesar Milan, the uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. The, uh, the dog whisperer. Yeah. I, I sort of was able to, to meet lots of different people who train dogs, animals, various kinds of animals. I know I met a woman in Michigan who, who uh, trains uh, zebras. She has she raises zebras, breeds them, trains them as companions. I met a lot of different people racing, a lot of different animals, and I felt like I think I kind of learned stuff that could be universal, but I'm not sure. Yeah. And I was actually down in Charlotte. I forget why I was there, but I went for a run at the Whitewater Rafting um, Center yeah. with Nathan and a, and a group and a crew from the Ultra Running Company. And Nathan and I were out in the trail by ourselves. All the fast guys kind of took off. It was just me and Nathan hanging out on their run together, and we're chatting. And we're about two miles from the parking lot. And we come across this woman who's in the woods and she's kind of wrestling with a leash and her, her dog ain't having it. The dogs <laughs> are kind of running circles around her. And I, I see her her problem and I think, well, this is, maybe this is my moment to like put my donkey training to oh, yeah. the test. <laughs> so so I, I approached her and I said, I, I, by the way, I hope she's listening um, I approached her and said, excuse me, I I don't want to interrupt. looks like you're having trouble running with your dog. Do you mind if we we try something? She's like, whatever, dude, just like help me out. (laughs) So I said, here's here's what we're going to do. Nathan, you're going to get in front. Uh, I don't know the woman's name. We'll say her name is uh, Mary. Mary, you're going to get close to the left shoulder of this dog, and I'm going to get behind it. And then you're going to run forward with purpose. You know, you're in charge. Let's go. And we ran into pack, and that dog instantly clicked in. And we just like beelined it (laughs) it back to the parking lot, like it was on rails. I'm like, holy crap, like the donkey stuff really worked. If you you partner with the animal, the animal will get what the job is.
0: I love it, man. That's the the thing, right? It's like partner, right, creates the understanding, right? That's like I said, it was was very amusing and diverting (laughs) at the same time, I'm like, oh my gosh, this dang (laughs) dog and this dang book at the same time. Thank goodness <laughs> for the book. because the dog's still? Dr- no, I'm kidding. He's doing great. He's doing great. He's doing great. But that's great stuff, <laughs> a little, man. Little terrific.
1: anxiety, but uh, otherwise.
0: <laughs> no, he's but he's but he's doing great. And it's like you know, we. I think we talked about this. It's like you know, that's his job. His job is the morning run, right? So it's like I get up, I go out, I eat my breakfast, and I, you, I'm gonna steal your shoes if you don't put them on now and take me out because <laughs> we we have a run this morning, every morning. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, so there you go, everybody. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Everybody wins.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks for getting up uh, so early and joining us. That I, I, I I'm gonna order Running with Sherman and read that and uh, wait for uh, Born to Run Two to come out. Look forward to that, and uh, I'm looking forward to it very much. Terrific,
2: guys. No, thank you. I really enjoy this. You know, I always. Uh, it's funny. I, I used to have it like. My thought was in the past, well, if i um, somewhere in the south, I will definitely come by, you know, Charlotte. Now, it's like if I go on tour, I will always go on Charlotte. I've never missed coming through Charlotte ever there now on any kind of book tour event <laughs> just because it's so cool down there and so fun. So, thank you, guys. It's good to, it's good to really connect and, and chat and talk all stuff running and Sherman and the rest of it.
0: Good stuff, brother. Good stuff. Thank you, Chris. All right. And we'll look forward to December for the release of Born to Run 2, right? That's
1: right. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, brother.
0: The Running Around Charlotte podcast is presented by the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon and our partners at Pinnacle Financial and U.S. Bank. Running Around Charlotte is produced in partnership with Well Run Media and Marketing. New episodes are available every week, anywhere you listen to podcasts.